Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In the 1950s, there was a cult called the Seekers, led by a woman named Marion Keach. They were one of the first UFO cults that we're aware of. This cult taught that on December 21st, 1954, a UFO would arrive and take this small group of fortunate people to safety while the rest of the world perished in a horrible disaster. Now, there was a psychologist who actually infiltrated this cult named Leon Festinger. Now, of course, December 21st, 1954 came and passed. There was no disaster, and as far as we're aware of, there was no UFO visitation. Nobody was picked up and taken to safety. So you would think this would be the end of the cult, right? They made a prediction. It didn't come true, so everybody went home. Not quite. They actually revised their prediction and said, actually, Christmas Eve is when the UFO will come and the disaster will strike. But, of course, Christmas Eve of 1954 came and went. Nobody was taken away. No UFO. So the group went home, right? No, they didn't. In fact, some members did leave, just a few, a a small number, but a good number actually didn't and grew in their evangelical fervor. They became more evangelical about their cult, and you know why? They said it was their faith that had saved the world from a great disaster. So you need them more than ever. Now, based on his experience with this cult, Dr. Leon Festinger came up with a term that we now hear frequently, cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is a psychological stress stemming from contradictory beliefs and behaviors. We see plenty of examples of cognitive dissonance in everyday life. Most people would say, you should clean up after your dog in a public space. Yet, sometimes, those same people, when they take their dog out and they forget their bags or they run out of bags, might be likely to leave that mess behind. Most people know that eating healthy and exercising is good for you, yet many choose the unhealthy burger or to watch TV instead of being active. Most people know that smoking is bad for them, yet they still consume cigarettes. Cognitive dissonance produces one of two reactions in us, typically. The first reaction is what we might call rationalization and occurs when we self-justify. Well, I ate a salad for lunch, so I earned this Big Mac for dinner. The other reaction is confirmation bias, which is when we avoid circumstances or data that might challenge whatever inconsistency we hold. Now, cognitive dissonance can occur in many arenas with varying levels and degrees of consequences. As a Cowboys fan, I experience cognitive dissonance every year. Yet, biblically, the New Testament authors tend to identify cognitive dissonance, at least in a moral sense, as one of the symptoms of sin. And we see cognitive dissonance throughout the New Testament. For example, the agonized father who cries out to Jesus in Mark chapter 9, Lord, I believe, help me in mine unbelief. Romans chapter 7, St. Paul anguishes over the cognitive dissonance that he finds within himself. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And finally, we see cognitive dissonance yet again in our reading from James this morning. The cognitive dissonance that allows some to be just hearers of the word instead of doers of the word. Cognitive dissonance, then, is psychological jargon that describes what Christians have, been, have known and been talking about for two millennia now. 
Namely, that the soul often feels drawn to God, drawn to what's good, while our flesh has to grapple with concupiscence, and it creates within us a kind of division. Now, what James wants us to see in our reading this morning is that the task for Christians is to move past this kind of cognitive dissonance. We cannot be a people who merely hear the gospel. Instead, we must be a people who do the gospel. And so to help us grasp the negative implications of cognitive dissonance and find a way out of it, James offers us two portraits, the portrait of a hearer only and the portrait of a doer. So to explain a hearer only, he employs a metaphor, a man who sees his face in a mirror, walks away, and instantly forgets what he looks like. You can tell James was writing in an era before selfies. If you look at yourself only to forget a moments later, it's really futile. What was the point of looking in the first, cl- first case? It's futile to be a hearer instead of a doer. It's like hearing a sermon or reading a theological book and not putting it into practice. In that case, why come to church at all? Or why put in the work to read a book if it's not going to be put into practice? Even more profoundly, if you've been baptized, you are a Christian who has been regenerated by the Holy Ghost and raised to a new life. But what if you don't put that faith that was gifted to you at your baptism into practice and it has no effect on your lived life? Because at that point, you're just ignoring your bat. You're not just ignoring your baptism, you're explicitly rejecting it. Like Deacon David said, there is no neutral. So James then gives us an example. If you say you're a religious person, but you can't keep your tongue bridled, then your religion is in vain. Bridling the tongue means not lashing out in anger or using your tongue as a mechanism of harming others. We've seen what this harm can do recently in the ministry of Mark Driscoll, the multi-site megachurch pastor whose church of thousands was irreparably fractured in large part because of his unbridled anger, which led him to treat other image bearers really reprehensibly. So what's the point of sitting in a pew reading, doing Bible study, if it doesn't change us from the inside out. James here picks up on a long tradition of Old Testament prophetic critique of empty religion. We might think of Isaiah the prophet, who, speaking for God, told the people of Israel, bring no more vain oblations. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. So the hearer, stands for those who do not allow themselves to be changed by the grace that's given to them. They're one of the bad soils in the parable of the sower. So in response to their cognitive dissonance, they will either rationalize or bury their heads in the sand by ignoring the glaring inconsistency in their behavior. On the other hand, James gives us the portrait of a doer, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The perfect law of liberty is God's law which sets the ideal for human flourishing. The whole law is distilled in the dual principle of loving God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. This ethical posture of love then works itself outward into the particular circumstances that we find ourselves in. So we might think of Paul's words in Romans chapter 13. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor because love is the fulfilling 
of the law. So there's a paradox here in James. The law is freedom because it's what we were designed for. We were designed to love. Biblical freedom, then, is not getting to choose between a given number of alternatives, but to be what one was made to be. So we resolve cognitive dissonance, James says, by looking into this law of liberty. Now, the Greek word here for looking into can also be translated as sort of stooping down to peer into. It's the same word that's used in only two other contexts in the New Testament. First, when the disciples and Mary stoop down and look into the tomb where our Lord has been resurrected. And then again in 1 Peter 1.12, where St. Peter says that the angels desire to look into the gospel that is preached by the church. In both these instances, there's a kind of peering into a beautiful mystery involved in this word. And so we peer into the mystery of the law of love, not as neutral or distant third-party observers, because then we'd just be seers instead of hearers only. But rather, we look as doers. We peer, we meditate on, we internalize this law of liberty, and then we incarnate it in our lives. So the example for James is practical and twofold. If you're practicing true religion... It means caring for others, particularly those on the margins. Because when the world treats some as disposable, the Christian insists on their inherent dignity and acts accordingly. Paired with that, the true practice of religion involves remaining unspotted from the world, not allowing external forces to distract us from our essential call to holiness. So here's the question. What is the source of of the cognitive dissonance that we find in ourselves? The answer is that experience we all have where the spirit is willing willing and desirous to obey God while the weakness of the flesh wills what is opposed to God's laws. So the hearer is someone who, rather than submitting and finding freedom in the law, would rather dwell in psychological stress to gratify their lusts. Only the doer can break free from cognitive dissonance because their action, their doing, aligns their whole being to God's will and tames their fleshly passions. So the only solution to cognitive dissonance is to go further up and further in. It's to give one's whole self to God. It's to internalize his perfect law of liberty. Now, as I mentioned, today is Rogation Sunday. Rogation comes from the Latin word rogare, which means to ask. Typically, this is a day when intercession is made in the form of various litanies, something we'll spare you from today. But for us, it's an opportunity to ask God, for us to become further integrated into him, resolving that cognitive dissonance. It's what we see in our colic this morning, that by his holy inspiration, we may think those things that are good, and by his merciful guiding, may perform the same. Our goal, then, is to be unified in our desire and action. It's to have that word engrafted in us that is able to save our souls. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.